welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 25th of May 2014, entitled Giving God's Way, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 24. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. First John chapter 3, we're going to take our scripture reading beginning in verse 16 and reading through the end of the chapter in verse 24. I invite you to stand with us to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word this morning beginning in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. Word of God says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we then have we confidence toward God. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Father, we do thank you again for this time together this morning. Lord, we commit it completely into your hands Pray that you would speak to each heart that which is most needed for your glory, for your honor, in Christ's name, amen and amen. Our simple thought this morning, if you would, is giving God's way. I know many times that the word uh, giving can kind of make us shy and draw back a little bit because we think, well, somebody's wanting something else out of me. But the truth is, as we begin to look and realize, I believe that if our hearts are to be prepared for our mission conference this week, that we've got to be willing to come to the Lord with a right and a receptive heart for what God wants to do through us. I have said, and I say again completely unashamedly, that I believe that there is absolutely nothing more important to a believer, to a Christian, to a child of God than the work of Jesus Christ taking place in that person's life. What does he want to do with our lives? What does he want to accomplish through us? We get sidetracked by so many things, and of course, as we come to our missions conference, we're going to be asking you next week, We're going to be asking you that you be praying all week and hopefully that you've already been praying. Yes, about making a commitment for the cause of Christ, for the cause of the gospel, 
that souls around the world might be saved. Aren't you glad that just as we read from God's word here, aren't you glad that we serve a giving God? You see, I'm convinced for us to get the right attitude in our minds and hearts, and you know that I'm not a preacher that hounds on money and things like that, but folks, it is part of God's word. And it is part of the work of missions, but only a part of it. But I believe that if we're going to have the right attitudes and minds towards it, that we've got to begin with the fact that God is all about giving. He teaches us the importance of it in his word. He just got through, and this is just one of the passages, and we're going to to look at a couple of others. He just got through telling us here in this word that Here's how we perceive, here's how we know, here's how we see the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Now the truth is here this morning is that part of God's plan is not a conditional part. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what your life has been, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Hereby we know the love of God because of that fact that he laid down his life for us. You know, it's interesting. This is just a little side note for you there. Hereby perceive we the love of who? The love of God because who? He laid down his life for us. There are those that question whether that Jesus that hung up on the cross was God or not. Well, God said, here's how we know that God loves you because he, God, laid down his life for you and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So before we begin to even think about our own giving, whether that's in our, in our, in our time, whether it's in uh, God wanting us to, to be willing to, to go to some dark jungle of this world, whether it's to give of that that God has blessed us with before we look at our giving and our part in what God would have us to do through this church and his work, I think that it would always behoove us to consider what God's attitude toward giving really is and what he gave to us. You see, we read this here in 1 John three sixteen. But of course, one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so what? So loved the world that he what? That he gave his only begotten son. God loved us enough that he was willing to give. He was willing to give the most precious that he had. He was willing to give his only son. Of course, we... Find that is in our reading here today that as we're reminded of that love in verse 16, notice again what he said in verse 17 and 18 there. But whoso hath this world's good, seeth his brother have need, shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now, look at what God's saying. You know, you can see with absolute certainty that God loved you because he loved you so much that he was willing to lay down his life for you. 
And yet, you're going to sit there and say, you know, that you've got just worldly possessions. Folks, there is absolutely, and you know, there is absolutely no worldly possession that you can possibly have that is of such value to you that it's more important than your life. We find that he's saying to us here, if God loved you so much that he was willing to die for you, how can you in the turn have the goods of this world, the possessions of this world, the treasures of this world, and see a brother that has a need and yet not cares. Shut up your, your bowels of compassion towards him. How can you do that and say what? That the love of God dwells in you? How is that possible? How is it possible to say that the love of God is in you when he was willing <coughs> excuse me, to lay down his life. He says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, words come easy. I'm glad that you're here this morning to hear some of the words that God has laid upon my heart. It's easy to say, I love you. It's easy to say the words that I care, that it matters to me. It's easy for us to say back and say, yes, of course, it matters that those people across the street and those people down the street and those people across town, those people to the deepest, darkest part of this world are lost without Jesus Christ. I care. Well, if we care so much, what are we willing to do about it? How much do we care? Just enough to say those words? Or enough to actually do something about it. We're talking about giving God's way. God was willing to give everything for you. And yet, he says, we see those around us in need, and it doesn't move us to action. How can we really turn around and say then that the love of God dwells in us? Of course, we know that the book of Proverbs is a, a book of wisdom. And as we look at through that, God has quite a lot to say about this whole matter of giving. Just a few of those verses in Proverbs chapter 3 and in verse 9. He says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits." of all thine increase. Now, we're going to look at a few things, and I'm going to have to skip some things, and the truth is is that if you care enough to get it all, you're going to have to be back this evening because we're going to cover part of it in more, in more detail then, and it's vital. It's so vital. It's so important to us. But what he's saying to us here is that we need to honor the Lord with our substance, with what we have, with our possessions, if you would, and with the first fruits of all thine increase, of everything that God gives you, we should be honoring God with the first fruits. We see if we turn over a few pages into Proverbs chapter 11, he tells us this there in verse 24. He says, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to... Poverty. 
In other words, there's this principle that, you know, just like with the seed, when you, when you scatter it on the ground, when you scatter it out there, then it's going to increase. But when you hold it all to you, it's going to be worthless. It's going to go to poverty. He goes on in chapter 13 and verse 7, and he says, There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. Build up all those treasures, maybe in the world's eyes and maybe some even self-satisfaction in the flesh that you've been able to, to gain all this and to accomplish all this. There is he that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. And of course, we just sing about that. Do we stop and think about the words that we, that we sing sometimes? The truth is, it is not, and we've got to get our minds off. I know it's totally contrary to everything that happens in our lives, to what the world teaches us out there, to what, how the world operates out there. It's not this world's goods that are of true value. We can have all of this and yet have nothing. And yet, with God, we can actually make ourselves poor, if you would, with the world's substances. And yet, he says here, have great riches. The very next chapter, in chapter 14, and in verse 21, he says, He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor Happy is he. It's easy for us to look at someone, to despise someone, to, uh, to put someone down, but to have compassion upon them, to do something about it. In chapter 19 and verse 6, many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. You know, again, we know that that works in both sides, both ways. We saw the we see from the prodigal son that, you know, as long as he's able to, to give to all of his friends, they were all right there. They were willing to join in the fun. But when the world's money was gone, so were they. They were no longer there. They no longer existed. And so it is in much of this world. We find that if you look just a bit further in chapter 21 and in verse 26, he says, he coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. We find that there is a big difference. There's a big difference in the way the flesh operates and the way the spirit operates. There's a big way, a big difference in the way that the world economy operates and the way God's economy operates. We get so influenced so many times by the wrong one. In Proverbs chapter 22 and in verse 9, he that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. We find that if we look just a bit further in chapter 28 and verse 27, the Bible says, he that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. In chapter 31 and in verse 20, the word of God says, she stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, 
She reaches forth her hands to the needy, speaking of the virtuous woman there. You see, God's Word tells us time and time and time and time again that the real treasure, the real joy, the real happiness always comes in giving. It comes in, 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 in being compassionate and being generous and in, in looking at the needs of others. Giving God's way. God gave himself. Our first step must be to truly give ourselves to God. Until we truly give him ourselves, then our focus is going to be upon these earthly treasures, upon these things that we have in this life. When God has a hold on us, suddenly those things, it's not that they aren't still there, it's just they are not the most important anymore. They're not the most valuable. You see, matter of fact, before we concern ourselves with giving God anything else, you see, this week we're going to hear missionaries. This week we're going to, to hear from God's word about giving ourselves to God. Before we can be concerned about giving God anything else, we've got to begin with me. We've got to begin with God genuinely having me because there again, if God truly has us, then we will want to give God's way. What did he say? How can you have this world's goods, this world's substance, this world's possessions, and see the need over there, and yet close up your heart of compassion against that and say that God's love dwells in you? That can't be. If it's truly God's love that's dwelling in us, then these things are going to matter. And being able to affect God's work, and even to be able to affect those that are in need around us will be more important to us than what I have for myself. I recognize there is a lot of abuse that goes on in the name of Christianity and charity and all kinds of things today when it comes to trying to get people to give of their things, of their possessions, of their money. But the reality is, is that we're not talking about giving in those scams. We're not talking about giving in those abuses. We're talking this morning about, okay, what's God's way? What did God do to us? How did he give to us? And how does he want us to give? You see, I still believe that for a true Christian, that the biggest problem comes when we begin to think about giving. The biggest struggle that we're going to have there is going to come back to the giving of ourselves. If we're having trouble giving him some of that paper stuff that we have with all these different funny pictures on them, maybe it's because he doesn't have the one that's holding that. I honestly believe with all my heart that that's where the biggest problem comes from, that when God has us 
as we used to say, lock, stock, and barrel. He's got everything. When we truly give God ourself, then I don't think that we're going to have a problem with giving him anything else that we have. You know, one of the real facts is this. We have those missionaries that have surrendered to go to all different parts of the world because God has spoken to their heart and they have obeyed that which God has asked them to do and they've given themselves to do there. But the truth is, is that it's something that they can't accomplish by themselves. It's something that requires finances. It requires somebody somewhere that's willing to pay for that work to take place. Now, churches come up with some very innovative ways a lot of times to, uh, to raise money, uh, to get money. Uh, but it's of this simple preacher's mind, if you would, that God's way is always the best way. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not that people can't come up with some really bright, fantastic ideas. And it's not even that God's principles can't be applied in, in a various ways. But I'm saying that we need to stick to God's way. And we need to do it God's way. The principles that he give us will always work. And of course, as we begin to try to look at some of those things today, I just want to remind you, We've looked often at the great task that is before us. It doesn't matter that Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood to redeem that soul. It doesn't matter that on the third day he rose, that he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and everything that needed for an individual to come and put their faith and trust in him and have life everlasting. It doesn't matter that he did it all if they never hear. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. You see, the greatest price of all was paid in God giving himself on that cross. But unless somebody is willing to get that message to the individual, it won't matter it's only by the truth that they can come to realize and understand and recognize what Jesus has done for them. We can sit back on our haunches and we can talk about what, what great things that Jesus Christ does, but are we taking that message to those that haven't heard, to those that don't know, or are we just keeping it for ourselves? The greatest gift ever. If we are going to succeed because... Jesus' last command was go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a huge task. But we have never had more opportunity in all of history than we have right now. If people are willing to go, sitting and I was thinking, you know, that simple word go, the truth is, is that we don't have to ask if I need to go. I can tell you without any, you don't even have to pray and ask God if it's his will for you to go. 
His command is to go. You can either obey or you can disobey. It's not if I'm to go. It's simply where am I to go? Where? Is it right where I'm at in my community, in my neighborhood? Is it to the far ends of the world somewhere? We are all to go. There is no question about that. Where do you want me to go? You see, so many times we sit back and we use for an excuse when I'm just praying for God's will. And we need to know God's will in all that we do. But we don't have to ask God if it's his will for us to obey something that he's already told us to do. All the world? You see, first of all, that requires personnel. Somebody has got to be willing. God chose to use you and I. God chose to use the believer to carry that message. Jesus Christ chose 12 here upon this earth that he taught, that he discipled himself to be able to go out and to repeat that process. And they were the foundation of the church, which we have been built upon with Jesus Christ himself as that chief cornerstone. We are to continue that going today. Who is willing to go? Will we say as Isaiah, here am I, send me. Here am I, God. You see, yes, I want you to pray earnestly about what God, I want you to fill out a faith promise commitment card. Some people say, well, I don't need to do that. Well, we'll look in the Bible. You can do it or not do it. You know, I'm not going to get mad at you or love you any less. I'm going to give you the God's principles on what he showed us that works. We can either follow them or we can do our own thing. But I'm asking you, I'm asking you to, before you even get to that point of saying, God, what do you want me to do financially? <clears throat> I want you to say, are you really, really, really willing to say, here am I? Here am I. Send me. Do with me what you will, God. Because you're never, ever, ever. You're never going to get the money thing right. You're never going to be happy about giving of your, of your paycheck and giving of your possessions and giving of your natural things until God gets you. And when he gets you, then you can honestly go and say, God, I'm willing to do whatever. I trust you completely and wholly. Do with me whatever you will. It requires people that are willing to give themselves. It requires prayer. Year after year after year, I encourage you, pray, pray, pray. You see, the purpose of the missions conference is not to move on your emotions, to get you somehow in, a, in an emotional state to where you'll just do something because it feels good at the moment. But we will see as we look deeper into these things that God wants you to make a commitment he gives us the principle of showing how you make a promise, but he only wants you to make a promise that you're going to keep. When you make a promise, he wants you to stick to it. Well, you know, we're not talking about, I'm talking about earnestly getting on your face before God and finding out what you can trust God, what God wants to do through you, not what you can do, not how much or how little it'll hurt to give God yourself totally and completely in this business and to say, God, here am I. Lord, you see, we need prayer, first of all, individually. What does God want to do with me?
What does God want to use me for? In because he does. He doesn't want you to sit back and not be involved. <coughs> but also, we need to be praying, not only individually, but those prayers of intercessory. We need to be praying those intercessory prayers for those that are going because, folks, it won't happen because we're so clever and so smart and because we're able to, to do something so good and so fine. It'll only happen because God does it through us. So nothing is going to, this task is not going to be accomplished unless, first of all, there are people that are willing to truly give themselves to God. And that that people are willing to spend time on their knees in prayer. Life gets so busy. It's so easy to get caught up. It's so easy to have great intentions. It's so easy to mean well. But we've got to have some people that are willing to genuinely get on their knees and spend time before God and genuinely find out, God, what do you want to do with me? That'll genuinely spend time on their knees, not just drop money in the offering plate every Sunday to send off to those missionaries all around the world, but to pray for them earnestly, passionately, that God would do something because they can go there and they can spend their lives, but without the power of God on their lives, nothing will ever be accomplished. It'll just be a wasted money. It takes people. It takes prayer. And yes, it takes possessions. <laughs> Somebody's got to be willing to pay for this. Sometimes. You see, God does want you to go, but if he doesn't tell you to pack your suitcase and head off somewhere else, then he's told you to go here. But maybe one of the ways that you can get to the ends of the world is because when God's really got you, listen, folks, if it's a burden, that's not the kind of giving that we find is in God's word. Matter of fact, when he talks about those those, those joyful givers, he's actually, those, those hilarious givers. He wants people to give hilariously into his work. It's because you want to. It's because it feels good to. It's because you desire to. Not because you're reluctantly doing something that you don't. You see, God hasn't got the heart yet. Got to start with you. Got to start with you. It's got to start with you getting on your knees and praying. And yes, God will get to the possessions. And of course, it takes the power of God. Yes, that comes through prayer. Yes, that comes through yielding. I'm saying we're all guilty if we're not careful. We're just getting so wise that we just do so much of God's work in our own strength, in our own power. In our own wisdom, we need desperately the hand of God upon all that we do, the power of God. You know, he's the only one that can save. We can send people out there. You can go out there. You can go from tribe to tribe and country to country. And the truth is, without the power of God, nobody anywhere will be saved without him. Jesus said, unless the Father draweth, no man cometh. It takes the power of God. Now, I know. I know that I won't have all of you this evening, so I'm just going to have to toss some things out there. 
And if you don't believe it or if you want to find out more, you're going to have to come back tonight. You see, you know that I believe there's three dimensions. If you're part of the, there's three dimensions of giving. There's three principles that we can do to give God's way. And I'm just going to scan those and then we're going to look at them in more detail. The first principle is tithing. And tithing, I believe, is a giving that is binding upon every Christian. Now, we'll look at it in a bit more detail this evening, but what I want you to realize is this. There are those that say, no, tithing isn't for the New Testament. Tithing was under the law. Tithing was, well, you can believe that if you want to, but I'm going to give you something, and we'll look at these scriptures tonight. But tithing didn't begin with the law. Tithing began with Abraham. And Abraham was the first man that God called out to be a people on this earth. That's where the nation of Israel began. That's why we sing Father Abraham, because that's where God's chosen people started. And it was there that he paid tithes to Melchizedek, which the book of Hebrews itself tells us is a type of Jesus Christ. Not only did Abraham pay tithes, but about 150 years later in Scripture, we find that Jacob was still paying tithes when he laid those stones there at Bethel. Bethel, the house of God, the place of God, and he paid tithes there at Bethel. Now, yes, when Moses came along, tithes were given as part of the law. We'll look at those passages. The thing is, is that with the tithe, we want to give it. We think it's under the law. There was actually three tithes under the law. There were two tithes. Tithe is simply 10%. Now we find that as we begin to look under the law that those tithes were given. There were two that were given each year. In Numbers 18.21, you'll find a tithe that was given for the upkeep of the priest and the Levites. It was there to pay that there was spiritual leadership that was there to do God's work. There was another tithe that was given found in Deuteronomy chapter 12 that was given for the feast and the fellowship of the people as they came together. And then there was another tithe that was given every third year that was given just strictly to give away to the poor, for the needs of the poor. That was all that it was for. So we find that in actual fact, under the law, they were giving about 23 and a third. If they gave nothing extra whatsoever, they were giving almost a fourth of everything that they had in their tithes. That was part of the law. That was demanded. That was required under the law. Then we move into the New Testament under grace. Matthew, also recorded in Luke, Jesus commends the tithe, that it ought to be done, that it doesn't alleviate responsibility for the weighter matters such as judgment and mercy and faith. In other words, Jesus was saying, yes, you ought to pay your tithe, but... You can't buy your way into this. You can't buy favor with God just because you're putting money in the offering plate. You can't forget those weightier matters that are of vital importance. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is speaking there of the tithers being something good in Luke 18, 12, showing how the, the Pharisee was doing this good thing. He was paying his tithes, but he had the wrong attitude of heart. <laughs> You see, he was paying his tithes so that everybody could see how religious that he was. <laughs> he wanted everybody to see what he was doing. We find that Jesus said, well, it's a good thing to pay your tithes, but not with the wrong attitude of heart. <laughs> and then, of course, in Luke chapter 20, verse 25, it's also recorded in Matthew and Mark. 
And of course here, dealing specifically with money, with paying taxes, you know, he sends Peter out to, to, to get the coins so that the tribute could be paid. They ask this question of him here, you know, you know, should we give that? Should we pay tribute? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? I mean, this was an outside foreign government that had control over them at the time. And he said, render under Caesar that which is Caesar, under God that which is God's. Some think that's not talking about money. Well, that's not all it's talking about, but it is specifically in the context of money. That's what they were talking about. That's what he was using the coin for. It's got Caesar's face on there. It's got Caesar's picture on there. Should you be paying taxes to this man? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. So in the first immediate context, it's dealing specifically with our money. So I'm saying to you, the first principle is to give God the first fruits. You know, you don't give God the first fruits of your tithes because that you've got to in order to be saved. You know, I don't even believe that we live in a day where God's going to send down some big curse upon you like if you disobeyed under the law. I'm just saying you're missing some of the wonderful blessings. You know, even in Malachi, and that was still in the Old Testament, he said, you know, that God just wants to open the windows of heaven. And he said, just pour you out blessings that you won't be able to withstand. I think I've told you before that uh, I can remember as a young man, you know, my, my pastor preaching from that passage and giving the illustration. He said, here's God. He's up there, and he's, this is directly in context with the tithe there. And he's talking about here's God, and it says he's just wanting to raise those windows and just pour all these blessings out on your life, and you just keep slamming the window down saying, no, thank you, God. <laughs> I'll take care of this myself. I'll do my own thing. God's wanting to raise the windows and pour all those blessings out. No, thank you, God. I can't afford to pay this 10%, this tithe. Actually, there it says tithes, plural, <coughs> that they were required to bring. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that, you know, the first principle of <coughs> Scripture of your possessions is that you give God 10%. Is that required? No. It's not required under the law anymore. Saying that was never, ever, ever only under the law. It wasn't given as a thing of the law. It was given from the time that God had a people in this world, and nowhere in the Bible has it ever been repelled. Nowhere has it ever been taken away. Jesus Christ himself commended it over and over. And I, you know, I try to get my head around the fact, how can we justify saying that we ought to do less when we're living in this great time of grace? Seems to me like it's just a lack of trust, a lack of faith, a lack of God having me in what I have. So as your pastor, I say to you, folks, you will never regret giving God your first fruits. Him being the most, you'll never regret it. And you'll never be worse off financially unless God's a liar. He's promised you that. But then the other thing, which again we can look at in more uh, detail this evening, is that uh, not only is there the principle of the first fruits, but there's the principle of free will offerings. I love, I love reading that uh, that passage in uh, in, in, in Exodus, uh, and we see that uh, we see God working at this. And 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 and, and as a matter of fact, uh, uh, this is my uh, this is my old Bible where I used to uh, I used to mark it up and write in it and do all these things. And pages are falling out of it, but. Uh, 
I grabbed it because I remember when I, when I first began to read this. And, and again, you need to go and, and, and you need to read this in its, in its entirety. Uh, the whole chapters 35 through chapter 40. We certainly don't have time to read that this morning. And we'll look at it a bit more detail this evening. But listen to me. Notice this. Here's what I want you to grasp here. God is not asking you to do something against your will. It comes down, what we've got to grasp, first of all and foremost, it is a heart matter, folks. Now, we find here that the Bible tells us, starting out in, in, in chapter 35, and Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, these are the words which the Lord hath commanded that ye should do them. Now, this is something that, that, that God has asked, but notice, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you an holy day a Sabbath of rest to the Lord, whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Now, it can get confusing because on the one hand it's saying God commanded this. But notice who he's commanding it of. He says, "Very, take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart. Let him bring it an offering of the Lord, gold, silver, and brass. And it goes on to list all these substances, all these natural possessions that they have. And we'll look, you'll find time and time again, every time, the one thing that is emphasized over and over and over, willing-hearted, whose heart made them willing, it was from in here. What happens at the end of that? <laughs> it gets pretty exciting because, uh, you know, what are they bringing all these things in for the building of the tabernacle, to build the house of God? What happens when they get it there? Well, they're bringing, and, and the, all these, this was just those that, had a willing heart, they, they, those that wanted to, that had a desire in their heart to. And yet it comes down to the fact that Moses has to begin to stop and beg and plead them, please, don't bring anything else. We've got more than we know what to do with. We've got more than enough to build the tabernacle. We find that they were just so willing. Their love, it was a, an act of love from their heart because God's work meant so much to them. The first fruits the tithe, the free will offering, the love offering, that which was given of the heart because God's work meant so much. But then that third one that we'll look at closer, and you've got to grasp and understand these. God will bless you if you give him the first fruits. God will bless you phenomenally beyond measure if you give those free will offerings just of a willing heart because it means that much to you. You know, it's a joy to give. That's why that giving becomes hilarious when God's got us and we've got this privilege, this ability to be able instead of wasting it on something that's going to be here tomorrow and be gone tomorrow, and we can actually invest it on something that's going to last for eternity. But I say this as we come to a close this morning. You know that you come to a limit. You know that there comes a time when you yourself can't do anymore. And you know, I spent a lot of years in church before that I ever saw these passages opened up to me. And yes, I was faithful and 
giving of my tithe and giving free will offerings. But everybody, sometimes at different levels, but everybody has a limit. There is no human being alive that doesn't have a limit somewhere. They only have so much of this world's possessions. But you see, Faith Promise Missions, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, and 10. And again, we'll look at this in a bit more detail. But let me just read you the first few verses so you can understand, folks, what God can do. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the, I've circled the next word in my Bible, grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Church at Corinth, boy, I want you to see what kind of grace that God has done on this church, has bestowed upon this church, has given to this church of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. <laughs> These people obviously had a lot of struggles, a lot of trial of affliction. They were, the Bible uses the term, they were in deep poverty. They didn't have much of this world's goods. And yet, they were just absolutely overjoyed and giving so liberal, he said, for to their power, that's what they could do, right? That was to their own power. I bear record, yea, and beyond their power. So they were not only doing what they could do to their power, but they were doing something that was beyond their power. It was beyond anything that they could do he said they were, there it is again, they were willing of themselves. Praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. Here are these people that are in deep poverty themselves. They're going through all kinds of, of afflictions and whatnot, and yet they're eager, they're begging, they're pleading with us to let them give to our ministry that this ministry can Go on. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And we'll look at that a bit more deeper too. You see in these chapters that I mean, here is a people, folks, that we're not talking about doing what we can do. Faith promise is about what God wants to do through you. How big is your God? And it's not meant, we'll see, it's not meant to hurt anybody or to make a burden. This is God being able to trust you enough that he can actually give through you for his work without you trying to grab a hold of it for yourself when it comes through. What does God want to do? You see, God will only bless you if you're first of all faith, faithful in your first fruits. And of the first fruits that come into this church, then the first fruits of that goes into the work of missions. Secondly, your free will offerings. Look and say, you know, I've got all this, but this is God's work. This is the most important thing. This is the greatest place. And you're just giving of what you have, of what you can do, 
because you really love him and his work that much. But then, when you've really gotten to there, and very few people, very few Christians ever get to the point that they on Do you realize what one Coke a day amounts to in a year's time? It's over 400 pounds now. Just one 500 mil bottle of Coke or Pepsi or whatever you drink, one a day, over 400 pounds in a year. We are such a wasteful people. You know, that doesn't mean that God, you know, I'm not sure it's very healthy for you, but it doesn't mean he's, you know, upset because you drink a Coke. <laughs> I'm just saying we don't even stop to think about all that we spend on our personal life. We ought to be doing everything we can. But I want to be able to show you in a bit more detail this evening how that if you really see, the only way they got involved in faith promise, the only way they were so happy that they were giving all this out of such great joy out of their deep poverty because they'd given first themselves. Has God got you? Because if God's really got you, then he's got everything. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord. Lord, we know we try to just skim the surface and go over this. Lord, you know our hearts, that we're not asking anything of ourselves for ourselves. But Lord, we're asking that you would take and help us to see from your word, Lord, just how much that you loved us and how much you gave to us. Help us to be willing to give your way. First of all, by the great example that you showed in giving yourself, of giving our Savior on the cross of Calvary. Lord, telling us that we ought to love others in the same way that you've shown that love to us. There are very few of us that you ask to lay down our lives. We thank you for those in bygone years that have. But, Father, we do pray that for ourselves, our talents, our gifts, our abilities, our time, Lord, our possessions, we just pray that you would help us to willingly give you ourselves and all that we have, that you could do that through us that is impossible with us, that would bring great glory to you. And, Father, we see in the end as we come to the end of that faith promise that, Lord, we look there and that Paul says that, Lord, that if we're, when our faith is increased, Lord, that others will be able to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. They'll be able to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. There are those that can be reached with the gospel more of those when our faith is increased. So pray, God, help us with our faith. Increase our faith. Help us this day to give you ourselves lock, stock, and barrel. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.